where nobody knows your name is not filmed in front of a live studio audience. Today we're joined by a very special guest. This is Ian from Ian Talks Comedy. How are you doing, Ian? I'm doing great. I mean, Ken Levine was the other special guest, so not as big, but... You're in good company, though. Good company, exactly. It's nice to have you with us today, and I'm, I'm looking forward to a very cheersy conversation. In Ireland, literally nobody knows my name. <laughs> First thing let's ask is, whenever we have guests on the show, we... Ask what they'd be drinking if they were sitting down in Cheers. What's your drink of choice, Ian? Well, if I was in Cheers, I'd have to have a beer. Oh, of course. But I would normally have uh, vodka if I was just dr- vodka on the rocks. Wow, straight vodka. A connoisseur's drink. We can get you like a, a short afterwards if you, if you want to have a beer and then a, a vodka at the end of the conversation. You know, we can do both. So we're going to talk with Ian about all things Cheers, about American comedy over the ages and how Cheers is perceived now. What's the first thing you want to address, Ian? What's the first thing you want to talk about? Okay, so when did you guys start watching Cheers? I'll field this first, James. Um, so I'm, I'm fairly new to Cheers. In fact, this is my first watch. The podcast that we're doing is this is my first watch through it. So I have no idea what's coming up past. Well, we're coming up to season five now. So I have no idea what's coming in. But uh, yeah, so I'm very much watching it episode at a time and, and enjoying each step of the way. And I think it's, it's given a sort of nice perspective on our podcast we record as we go through each episode. But James is a bit further ahead than me. Yeah, I first watched it when I was probably eight or so, I want to say. Uh, the first episode I watched was Two Girls for Every Boyd and Lisa Kudrow was a guest star. And the first, I guess, exposure to American comedy I watched was Friends. So I recognized her, you know, from her performances as Phoebe. So when I saw that, you know, flicking through the channels and I saw that, and I'd heard of Cheers uh, because it's been referenced in a lot of other shows, but I hadn't really watched it. And then when I saw that first episode, there's a lot of great jokes in there. And from that first episode, I was hooked and trying to find where the other episodes could be watched because in the in the UK, it's not on demand, though. I understand in the US, it's available on Hulu, last I checked. I actually first started, I'm, I guess, a lot older than you. Uh started watching it. I was eight years old in 85. So it came on after the Cosby show, which was the number one show in America. And then Family Ties, then Cheers, then Night Court. So as an eight-year-old kid, that was my Thursday. Night Court is still my favorite show, but I always knew that Cheers is a better show. Like Night Court would make me laugh more, but I knew Cheers is more well done. And I watched it every week until it went off the air in 1993. Well, Night Court's not without its praises too. It's uh, Harry Anderson in a starring role. Great show. And uh, watching it in that sort of, you know, it's something that we'll never understand that kind of week to week, what's going to happen, really not knowing what's going to happen. Were there any points in that watching of it, like as it was coming out, where you were like, this is one of the, the biggest moments in TV? I would say I have memories of being in a Little League game. Little League, you then sometimes they take you off a pizza afterwards. And I was like, I got to get home. I got to find out what happens to Sam and Diane. Because it was the season finale of season five. I remember that was really big. The year before, the first season I remember watching was the Kate Milgrew uh, cliffhanger which answers the question about when did they knowingly embrace its status as a cultural phenomenon? I would say by doing a cliffhanger for over the, over the summer. Mm -hmm. 
And then when every year they had a check on Ted Danson if he wanted to do another year, and that was a big story. It was always in the news. 1991, Ted Danson signs on for another year. 1992, Ted Danson says, no, he doesn't want to do it anymore. And then show doesn't want to go on without him. So that those were major stories. So the, I knew the significance. It was the number one show on television. You also had Johnny Carson leaving after 30 years the year before. And people were going to say, what's going to happen to NBC? Touched on it earlier where that period, that mid-80s was the, was the start of uh, the phrase must watch TV for American comedy. And you had a lot of classics before then, such as, you know, Dick Van Dyke, Lucy, any of the Lucy shows and Mary Tyler Moore, those aspects as well. But I think what Cheers did, not solely, but in company of MASH and other shows from that era, they managed to solidify themselves to this cultural phenomenon by doing something a bit different, which we hadn't seen in sitcoms before, where they embraced a bit of darkness in the characters. MASH is a, is a staple of this, but John and I have often said the characters in Cheers are not necessarily good people, and unashamedly so. Well, they're all alcoholics. <laughs> <laughs> and not to say that that's good or bad, but the fact that Frasier, who's an Ivy League uh, psychiatrist, and Norm, who's an out-of-work accountant slash house painter, are sitting there every day drinking together and it's camaraderie. It That's a part of the part that's not that much fun. It's a little dark. And if you haven't had a chance, I would look at Taxi, which is even darker. Well, the whole of Reverend Jim as a character is very on the edge at times in terms of, at the time, pushing the boundaries of what they could have in a primetime sitcom. Right. And on Taxi, nobody was happy because nobody was doing the job that they wanted to do. They were all taxi cab drivers, except for Judd Hirsch. That would be a show I would also watch. And it's the same people. Yeah, they all, when Taxi finished, they all moved on to Cheers. And there was actually a taxi script that was used as a uh, cheer script. Who would be Miss New York cab driver became who would be Miss Boston barmaid. Oh, oh wow. Didn't know that. It's a tasty fact there, isn't it, John? Well, I talked to um, Tom Reader, who was very big in the beginning of Cheers, but he had a deal with Night Court, and they only let him do a certain amount of Cheers a season in his deal with Night Court. And one night, he this is a funny story, the Cheers episode he wrote, followed by the Night Court episode in which he wrote. And then the producer of Night Court, Reinhold Ouija, called him up, right at 10 o'clock and said, did you also write the Cosby show? So <laughs> we wrote both shows the back to back, but he wrote an episode in the 88, 89 season. Uh, Sam thinks that he got a woman pregnant. It was supposed to be an AIDS episode. I've heard of this. Yes. Obviously a huge social issue at the time where they were going to write an episode where Sam had a AIDS scare. I can't think how different the show would have been if if they did decide to have that storyline and how the general public would have would have perceived that. Because we talked to Ken Levine about The Boys in the Bar, which was controversial when it aired. Touching on AIDS as a subject, I could imagine would have been even more controversial. Plus the B-plot. Where's the comic <laughs> relief there? There was a night in American television which was on the level of Thursday night. It was a Saturday night in the 70s. It was all in the family. The Mary Tyler Moore Show, MASH, 
the Bob Newhart show, the Carol Burnett show. And if you include Hill Street Blues after Cheers, those two match each other. They're probably the greatest shows in television history so we've talked a lot about like there were some really like stellar nights of tv and i don't think we really have that as much anymore but a lot of sitcoms have really kind of used the bar as a primary saying but never reached the sort of success of cheers in viewership or acclaim what do you think does make cheers sort of so unique in terms of that and and is it this kind of realism that grounds the comedy the realism and the writing Mm. it's laugh out loud funny and that's not it's rare I mean, sitcoms, a lot of them are funny. They'll make you sit there and laugh. This one did. People, I mean, I was eight, and I was watching it with my parents, who were 35, and they they were laughing, and I'm sure people in their 50s and 60s were laughing. I think the thing which really shows the test of time is we've picked it up, like, what, four four decades later, and we're laughing still, you know? Uh, And that sort of proves the writing as to the test of time as well as being in the moment, laugh out loud funny. My daughter's eight, and I, and she couldn't fall asleep. So I said, I'm going to put on a TV show that is going to be a little slow because you know how everything's all quick. And she watched an episode of Cheers, and she liked it. She's eight. Did you pick the episode? Which which episode did you pick for that? It was where uh, Sam had to uh, babysit Fraser's kid because I figured that's a you know an appropriate one. It wasn't the boys in the band, or I was a sophomore in high school the year it went off the air, and my. People in my class, we were like going, all right, there's only eight episodes left. What are we going to learn? And then uh, when he took off his toupee, it was like, now what's going to happen? And Paul slept with Carla. Oh, my God. What's going to happen next? So every week we're like, what's going to happen? I was five when MASH went off the air. But Seinfeld's the only show that I remember all the same exact what's going to happen. The three you mentioned there, MASH, Cheers, and Seinfeld were the highest watched finales when each of them aired, MASH, then Cheers, then Seinfeld. And I've heard of the Seinfeld finale when it first aired, the streets were empty because everyone had gone home to make sure they watched the Seinfeld finale on time. I didn't work. There were no customers. But I said, as soon as I get home, I'm, I'm you know, putting the VCR on. But um, I have my five favorite episodes. I Mine is... Who is Cliff Clavin when he goes on Jeopardy? Is was, is Jeopardy broadcast in um, in Ireland? We see a version of it, but uh, we don't see the uh, may rest in peace the Trebek version. He's and he's great in it acting. Another one that here's Cliffy when he thinks he sold a joke to Johnny Carson and Johnny Carson. I'm sure you know biggest figure in American comedy at, the, at that point, and it was like his last couple of weeks, and he never did. Sitcom guest stars. The Gift of the Woody, when he writes the Kelly song. Great. The Tonight Show starring Jimmy Fallon. Kelly Ripa was a guest. When she came on, the Roots played the Kelly song as their lead-in song. And that was a couple weeks ago. The the thing with uh, Jeopardy, it still stands as well. When Whenever people on Jeopardy don't know the answer or the question, they just put, who is Cliff Clavin? Or, who has never been in my kitchen? <laughs> exactly. And then the last one... Um, Second time around when um, they fixed Frasier up with Jennifer Tilly. I just like that because I just think Jennifer Tilly steals that episode. Who are your favorite ancillary characters? I love Al, who's always a Sinatra. That, that's going to be a standout. Every episode, James does a rundown and Al features mostly in quite a few of the episodes uncredited. But in terms of like a, a guest star, I think Andy Andy's episodes, obviously we've watched the first 
four seasons now. Andy Andes have always stood down. Uh, Harry Andersons were were amazing as well. Um, and uh, yeah, I think I think those kind of ones where there's been a quirky character who comes in and and does that. I know Malcolm who comes in to assist in the bar in an episode just as a character was amazing. I tell you what gives me a lot of a lot of excitement, Ian, is so far your rundown of all of the episodes are ones we haven't watched yet. So I know that the best is still yet to come, which is a great, great note in that. Well, I love Diane. And I love the whole Sam and Diane. But the show got, I won't say funnier, but it got more joke-driven when Rebecca came. It's, a, it's something that we've noticed, especially because we're like, we're on that kind of cusp of season four going into five. And we, we've started watching a few and reviewing a few of episode five's early ones, which will be coming out soon. And there is that kind of fatigue of the proposal so far stretching out a few episodes long. And we keep saying every time is like, how long will this go on for? And it's it's kind of stretching out a bit and the, the jokes are kind of wearing a bit thin on that. And I think... I'm hoping that with Rebecca coming in, it'll be like a re-energized, fresh take on on the, the sort of dynamic of the bar. Have you seen the Ring episode yet? That's like a first <laughs> damn classic. That is in that season. You'll you'll be coming up to it. You know what I'm talking about. Well, we keep saying we're, we're waiting for the payoff of this proposal and being stretched out. So it's good to know it's coming. Interesting what you say about it becoming funnier, perhaps with Rebecca. And one thing which really exemplifies the difference between the Diane years and Rebecca years is when they do their acceptance speeches and Shelley Long goes up and gives a very eloquent, well-rehearsed speech, very infitting to her. And when Kirstie Alley went up, she was clearly very drunk and just shouting, thank you, thank you, uh, almost doing, you like me, you really like me, almost doing that kind of speech. And the difference between their two reactions shows with Diane, she was a new character for the time. She was, you know, an educated, well-spoken woman who came into this athletes bar and really you know changed the status quo a lot and you know for that alone cheers you know was able to last as long as it did when rebecca came in it gave it a new energy and gave it almost a sense of chaos and unpredictability that as john's alluded to in the later seasons of diane wasn't as present there's a if you ever see it um she won the emmy in 1991 and she thanked her husband for giving her the big one for all these years in her acceptance speech. So she's a little bit of a cat in a alley, but she's funny and she was great on that show. Now I was, I was thinking more ancillary. I was thinking I loved Kelly's father and Henri. I, I was just thinking Henri. He came in every, every few episodes and was just, every line he gave was quite similar, but he gave Woody a run, run for his money. And we, we loved seeing Woody struggle through that. I like all the extended families. I like I like Mark Laven, and as the seasons went on, we got to see more and more of the Tortelli family. Another writer, Stu Christman, told me that he wrote a Tortelli for them, and because he wrote a Tortelli's, they let him write a Cheers. He did them a favor, wrote a Tortelli's, and they said, okay, you can write a Cheers as a thank you. It was actually the second longest-running sitcom in terms of episodes, and, you know, 11 years, which we all love. But because the cast changed so much, both in terms of, of main characters and ancillary characters. Uh, do you think that helped or hindered the show as we watched it go through these cast changes? Absolutely helped because they did it correctly. For example, Coach, I don't know how many more stories you could have gotten out of him. I mean, he's kind of slow and dim-witted, but Woody is naive. It's a different character. I know people originally thought it was the same character, but it's a different character. 
and Diane and Rebecca, different characters. Lilith, that was, you know, I'm guessing put there so Frazier and Sam wouldn't have to fight over Diane. They all served a purpose. They were all great actors, and they're different than the characters they replaced. I think something we found particularly like interesting with, with Woody coming in is how it pushed other characters into different roles. And you see Sam kind of get pushed more into this sort of, not, not necessarily midlife crisis, but it, there's definitely episodes where he's really reflecting on, on his life. And it's really Woody coming in as a fresh-faced newcomer who's maybe attracting the women a bit more than Sam is, pushes Sam into, into a new kind of role. And also sort of a father figure that Coach was to him, but in regards to Woody, like it changes the dynamic of the bar with new people coming in each time, which is always sort of refreshing and mixes it up. Gives more opportunity. And I always liked how he called Rebecca sweetheart, like as a friend, which you would never have called Diane. And I like Paul. Paul's a funny character. I'm excited for it. Uh, he would come on, I would say he'd be in half the episodes, and he'd be sitting next to Cliff. And he was first he had one or two lines, but then slowly as the show began to, you know, 9, 10, 11, he had a character in a bit and he was featured more. And I don't think he ever got a B story, but he was in a lot of the stories. I heard a rumor that in season 11, if they had renewed it for season 12, he would have been updated to recurring character status in the same way that we saw Frazier and Lilith in their early appearances. Uh, and it certainly falls into what you say that as the series went on, he was given more lines, more things to do, became reliable enough as a character that someone could say his name as a punchline and the audience would understand immediately. He was boring. It was what his basic character was. He was just a boring average guy. Nothing really happened to him. <laughs> he was just there. Exactly. One thing I did learn, which I couldn't believe, I talked to um, Charlie Robinson. He played Mac on Night Court. So what he told me, and I couldn't believe this, is he was on a show called Buffalo Bill, and that was a Patchett Tarsus production, and it got canceled after two years. He got great reviews, and so did Dabney Coleman. And he was told to stay in California. Cheers wants you. Night Court wants you. Now, they knew that Coach was sick in real life. And Night Court, if you watch the first season, they had a female clerk and it, and she was supposed to be like the Diane for Harry Anderson. Didn't work. No, no, you know, no sexual tension or whatever. So he went to lunch with the Night Court people first and then just went, came back to his agent and says, I want to do Night Court. I just wonder what it would have been like if he went to Cheers and he had a great time with them and said, nah, I think I'll be the new bartender at Cheers. Like they were going to work him in as a weekend bartender and then put the character in there. Then there would be no Woody. Yeah, that's true. We often uh, speculate on this as to the alternate castings that would have happened. Some key ones which come to mind are Ed O'Neill auditioned for Sam Malone, you know, before before he went on to do Married with Children. We also, John, you'll know this, who was in Footloose? John Lithgow. Okay, though, but John Lithgow, Kelsey Grammer, they're very similar actors. I could see John Lithgow doing Frasier. I think it would be a different will we live in where we saw John Lithgow on our TVs for 20 years. But that's the way things turn out because John Lithgow and Kosey Grammer have made some incredible stuff separately. And I don't, I don't think we could have had it without either one of them doing the th things they've made. And, you know, Fred Dreyer, Julia Duffy, who's a great com comedic actress. Yes, she was in Andy Friend of Diane's, I believe. Yes, she was. And uh, she was on Newhart for seven out of the eight seasons. And uh, she would always lose Best Supporting Actress to 
Rhea Perlman. The whole character of Diane, I read, I read the notes for the for the uh, pilot. They said a Jane Curtin type. Interesting. So that's what it says. Diane Chambers, comma, you know, however old uh, she was supposed to be. And then it's a Jane Curtin type. I don't think they were in the cast Jane Curtin because she was too old for the part. Yeah, because she was, she started in uh, Saturday Night Live when it originally started back in 75. Right, but she was only two years older than Diane in real life. Wow. She was 33 as a college student, Shelley Long. We've talked uh, about different shows that how do you think Cheers, which is filmed in front of a live audience, and they remind us of this at the start of every episode, how do you think Cheers is perceived amongst the new trend of single camera, uh, often mockumentary type comedy shows that we're seeing as of late? It could have worked, but it wouldn't have been like, you know, Norm leaning to the side, making a face like they do on the office. But the writing was strong. I think it could have, I could have, it could have worked, but it would have been, it wouldn't have been like the other shows like that. Like I like Parks and Recreation and Brooklyn Nine-Nine. They don't wink to the camera that much. Maybe a little bit more like that. Oh yeah. And the set is a beautiful design. Lots of attention to detail. Huge. A few years ago, I think they've stopped it now. There, there was a Cheers live on stage play that amateur theater was doing. And I've seen a trailer for it and you could see recreations of famous parts from early episodes when they were just in the bar because of the way that this set is laid out, because of how everyone interacts with each other around the set. It's such a big character of the show, the bar itself. I I agree with you that a, a single camera version of that would have been difficult to create the same atmosphere. Have you guys been to Boston? Not yet. Unfortunately not. All right, so there were two. There's the original, the, the Bull and Finch, and then they made one that looked just like Cheers because the Bull and Finch, there's differences in how it looks. But the one that they made to look just like Cheers, unfortunately closed due to COVID, but the Bull and Finch is staying alive because it's a monument, it's a national monument, and they're going to open it up and you can still go there. And I've been there and it's, and it's not really cool. I've seen some of the stuff they're posting on on social media, and it's good to see that uh, Cheers is kept alive all these years later with with this real bar. And we've, John and I have seen a few kind of knockoff Cheers around the world, <laughs> bars which have used the name Cheers, and either because they know it's a well known bar or because they've just gone, this is g- generic enough. But we always, whenever we see it, we always take the opportunity just to take a picture and just say to everyone around the world, here's a Cheers near you if you can't quite get to the Boston one. So there's one in uh, Barcelona, uh, one in Berlin. Well, it aired in Spain three years ago. They did the show in Spain. The, they put Coach and Woody in together. So you saw the older retired sports coach there in the bar, but you also saw this kind of naive youngster kind of They combined Diane and Rebecca into one character. My Spanish isn't good enough to, to understand all the show, but I am intrigued as to exactly how they changed such well-known storylines. I can only find the on YouTube the opening sequence, so I haven't even been able to see an episode. What are like the most popular sitcoms in in the UK or or Ireland or Yeah, I think one of the one of the biggest ones recently has probably been The Big Bang Theory was quite big over here, but it was bought up by uh, one of the main channels. So that was kind of one of the big things. I'm envious of your like primetime back-to-back stellar comedy sitcoms because we got Big Bang Theory followed by How I Met Your Mother and then when How I Met Your Mother ended, it was Young Sheldon after Big Bang Theory. 
it was an hour of those two back to back, which they're not my entire cup of tea. I think I think they're definitely going back to some of the older things are sometimes better. Uh, I think some of the writing's just a bit stronger. I did like How I Met Your Mother when that was out, but the ending, you, you talked about how you you were so ready for like anticipating what was coming week to week with Cheers ending. How I Met Your Mother, I was in a similar kind of thing, but it, it kind of fell a bit short of what the, the hope was, I guess. It was a bummer ending. Yeah, I didn't watch it, but I know that. But in terms of um, popular TV, that I think streaming over at least 2020, The Office US series was like the the big one on Netflix streaming wise over here. I met shows that you guys made. I'll, I'll let James take this because James has got a staple of uh, influence in terms of British sitcoms. I'd say over the past few years, we've seen Dairy Girls has been quite popular. The UK does something with, with sitcoms where we will make six at a time and then we'll end up with like 20 in total and then it's done. Whereas US, like you, you get to spend a lot more time with the characters. So uh, something which I think is kind of comparable to Cheers, which is quite old now, um, but was called Early Doors, which is set in a pub, but it's a UK pub. Uh, I think there's only about 12 episodes, but James McAvoy's in it. But that's quite quite a good sort of pub-based sitcom, which I remember quite fondly. But Only Fools and Horses is a staple, I think, in UK sitcoms. Only Fools and Horses than, I'd say, a similar time frame to Cheers. In terms of the original run, it was something like 84 till 91. And then it went off the air and then came back for another few specials over the next 10 years. And it's about these two brothers who live in an apartment block in London, who are essentially our con men. You know, they find things from the harbour and sell it off the back of a van. And the whole show is about them just trying to, you know, remain financially afloat. And much like Cheers, they replaced one of the main cast members halfway through because the actor died. So their grandfather also lived with them, but the actor died. So they replaced it with an uncle. And as you say, it's a because the characters were portrayed differently enough, it didn't feel jarring when they did bring in this this new character. But I'd say in terms of influence and well-known moments, Only Fools and Horses is is up there. John can certainly remember some classic moments from it where a simple gag, where they're in a bar, they're trying to flirt with some women they see in the corner. One of them leans over, but just before he does so, uh, the waiter bartender opens up the bar hatch and the main character falls to the bar and just stands up and just brushes off his drink and just goes we're leaving we're leaving it'd be interesting to know um what's made it overseas in america big okay so i remember when i was a kid we had a public television show bbc shows and i liked it and a lot of people in my generation became fans of it are you being served (laughs) yes oh that's a golden oldie that's like i love lucy uh where you are yeah i'd say so yeah that that air of comedy in in the UK was it would be early seventies. I think you're a fan of Dad's Army as well, wasn't it, John? When there's uh, earlier, but also uh, things like Faulty Towers are obviously big ones as well, which I think have probably made it over. So yeah, I think we've actually just missed out like a core era of of sitcoms in the UK. But there's a there's a channel here called Gold, which is your your golden oldies that run fairly consistently. I was going to say 24-7, it could be. But yeah, you've got a sort of back-to-back of uh, shows like Faulty Towers. But again, like I, th- I think there are only like 12 episodes of Faulty Towers in total or something crazy like that. And it's it's insane when you compare it to sort of the legacy that sitcoms like Cheers have, which they've got so, so, so much more 
content, but it is strange how when you say the two, they people would assume they kind of have the same sort of number of episodes and the same legacy that's lasted. I liked Coupling when that came to America. Not the American version, the English version. I thought that was a very funny show. Peep Show is very popular now. Not Going Out, I liked. And I like old stuff. I like everything. So I really like Dave Allen. Dave Allen, yes. There's a great quote by him, you know, where he's sitting in his classic chair, scotch on one arm, and he's in an abandoned BBC studio and with his, you know, his thick Irish accent. You know, he goes on this long story about the rumours that the BBC is haunted and, you know, that there are lots of ghosts here of, you know, people who used to write for the show. And then he does this long pause and it just goes, I don't know anything about ghosts, but there are a lot of spirits. And then he drinks his whiskey. I don't know how it works because I'm American. We only know about America. Um, do Australian sitcoms play in the UK? Not, a, not as much, I don't think. Because there was one, but I can't remember it. It was from the guy who made a pizza. There's a show about a pizza, bunch of pizza guys. And I can't remember his name, but he did another show that was really, really funny. One show which made it over here from Australia was uh, Summer Heights High. And it's a kind of mockumentary about a high school. And the writer-director plays three different characters in it. He plays a music teacher, a kind of rebellious uh, teenager, and the, the kind of like wannabe uh, prom queen type. These three characters, you know, as as they go around their different social circles. And that one was quite funny. Kath and Kim made it here, done in America, and they showed the Australian versions. But what I always like to do is watch the English versions of American comedies and see at what point did they stop using the English scripts and start writing American scripts, like Three's Company. When Three's Company went into syndication, they put in Man About the House with it. And they said, oh, English version of Three's Company. And so like at six o'clock, they'd have Three's Company, and then they'd put Man About the House on after it. The one which surprises me, because they're both well-received independently, is when Sanford and Son, which, you know, classic in the States, is the, the British original version is Steptoe and Son, but both Steptoe uh, and Son and Sanford and Son are both well-received in their respective countries. And it's one of the few cases, the office being another, where the countries have, two countries have done two versions of the same show and they've both been well-received. On Sanford and Son, they did an episode where another country, where Israel wanted to make a version of, of, their, of Sanford and Son and called it Steinberg and Son. So it was a parody of the fact that San Francisco's on the original television show, which is, I guess, what we call meta nowadays. Was it season three of Seinfeld? The whole arc of Seinfeld trying to write Seinfeld. I know. And how was how was Seinfeld? Uh, was that very popular in England? Or? It's a good question. I think because of the similar time frame in which they aired and because of Seinfeld the show being so influenced by Abbott and Costello and very verbally driven, because Seinfeld and the Friends aired at a similar time, I think Friends took that top spot from Seinfeld. Having watched Seinfeld now, I think Seinfeld is, is very good. And as it goes on, you can tell the attention and the cleverness that went behind the writing. I think Friends, because it was probably aimed for a younger audience, more Generally, in terms of the jokes they made, in terms of the storylines, I think Friends was able to soak up the audience where Seinfeld wasn't quite able to crack that market in, in the UK. Both very good shows and both have been shown here to some extent. But I think because of Seinfeld having less of an audience and airing later 
in the night the the UK audience probably at the time just went well I've already watched my comedy for today and what's with you guys in cakes how many shows do you have you bake cake oh yeah well, we love them <laughs> first week I went to, into the office of, of my current job there was cake every day and then the next week they had to tell me that wasn't what happens every day James and I was disappointed to me it's it's not cake it's how that how that one format has been duplicated with every other thing you can think of. There's a sewing one. I, th- I think I saw a blowing glass one on Netflix My now. My wife watches the blowing glass one on Netflix. There's one on how to smoke meat as well. I think there's something about that. There's there's so many different kinds of ones. I think there's a pottery one as well. What job could they not make a television show about? <laughs> I don't know what the answer is. Eventually they're going to run out of occupations. Then then it will be the, the job to pitch the next ones. That that will be the next show. Oh, yeah. Pitching a show. They haven't done a beer brew you say that, you Google it, and it will be there. It was funny, it's Ted Danson. Didn't work for a long time after he took a break, and now he's like on every sitcom. Yes, he's got a new one out, which I've watched a few episodes of, Mr. Mayor. One of the recent episodes, he plays the mayor of Los Angeles, but as the mayor, he's asked to do the opening pitch at a, at a baseball game. And I was watching it going, Malone plays for the Sox. Why is he wearing the Dodgers outfit? Sports Illustrated did an episode about Sam Malone. Do you have cheered memorabilia? For, for Christmas, I got the very retro board game, which me and James need to play at some point, but due to sort of lockdowns at the moment, we're not able to do. But I've got the, the original board game that must come out in the 80s. So I'm looking forward to playing that at some point, but the cards on it are kind of hilarious. It's like, yeah, you're hiding from Carl, you hide in the office, go to the office kind of thing. We're looking forward to playing that at some point. I'm not sure you got anything, James. Only this uh, Funko Pop Cliff here. Though, as you said, Ian, when one of the Cheers bars was closing down in Boston, I saw they had a sale and I was very tempted to buy some of the merch if it wasn't for the shipping overseas from Boston costs. Mm. Did you pick up anything when you visited Ian, visited the bar? I just had the menu. It's a nice menu. They didn't sell, they weren't selling merchandise. This was like 1994. They hadn't thought of doing that yet. I don't have anything from Cheers. I mean, I usually have a T-shirt, like I'm wearing a David Letterman T-shirt. I have, like, Taxi, I have different shows, but I don't have a cheer shirt, which I should get one of them. But um, maybe a script. I collect scripts, so. Some of the Ken Levine episodes are classic, and when we spoke to him, he was talking to us about the importance of emotional core to a narrative. And you alluded to this where you said a lot of sitcoms aren't necessarily funny, but they do grab you. However, Cheers at times went between the more darker storylines such as Endless Slumper back in season one and it went more into the very farcical ones like Sending the Crane for example where Frasier takes up the job as a as a clown as a children's birthday party. From these I suppose two types of episodes which have you found enjoying more? I think John and I have differing opinions on this, but what are your thoughts on it? I'm a big fan of dark comedy. I like dark humor, but I guess I'd like to, I like the ones that are like more character driven, like Kelly and, and uh, Woody get married and what they do the day before and how that almost ruins the wedding, like stuff like that. Situational, situation comedy. And one thing I did, did notice from watching it from a kid, from what to watching it now, is that Cliff is a really unhinged individual. I used to think that he was just a funny guy, and then I realized, no, he's he could go any day. He could just go any day and take everybody with him. And I don't know if that was intended, but you see it as you watch the show. 
Oh my God, he's a scary person. Particularly in the whole vegetable recurring gag where he went, this vegetable is Richard Nixon. Is it? Is it Cliff? Yeah, it was very concerning at times. As we were watching them, uh, like, and obviously I haven't seen, I'm watching them as we go. I was convinced we would never see Mark Clavin. And I thought it was going to be like a psycho scenario where Cliff was just making up this whole thing all along. Because, yeah, as you say, he's unhinged in a lot of these episodes. And he's just sort of uncoiling from each one. And I didn't quite realize that that was what it would be like when we were going into it. For his character developing through these seasons become more and more it's kind of crazy when we were talking to Ken Levi and we asked him who do you most like um, writing for I ended up listing everyone and just went I just don't like writing for Cliff which, which we found quite funny he said that Cliff was probably his least favorite to write for yeah he does definitely get some of the most insane plots I like when there was one time Frazier looked over him and says okay Cliff what color is the sky in your world? <laughs> There's one opening where Cliff determines the name of one of our new presidents. Very close to Barack Obama, which is so weird. Our new, our next president will be Moak Obama. When Barack Obama got elected, they were like, Cheers predicted the future. It was just a joke. And then somebody goes, what kind of silly name is that? And then when he goes, hey, that's the president you're talking about. You know, the great quotable lines. I talked to Tom Leopold. He wrote for the in the last season. There's a line where uh, Norm goes talking about when he was in the Boy Scouts. And they were like, you were in the Boy Scouts? He goes, for a couple of weeks. And then there was some talk about a hike. <laughs> I always use that line when somebody would bring up the Boy Scouts. I would say, oh, yeah, I was in the Boy Scouts. They're like, you were in the Boy Scouts? Yeah, until they brought up something about a hike. And I told him, I've been ripping you up for like 30 years. It's a great interview with the, with the Cheers cast for their 200th episode. And they asked George Went, well, what do you think about Norm? And he goes, he's, you know, he's a great guy, great writers. And then they show the, the clip of, it's a doggy dog world and I'm wearing milk bone underwear, which gets raucous applause. If you go to YouTube, you can put in every Norm entry and they have them all. And one of the best things, and the writers will tell you this, I don't know if Kevin Levine said, it, I listened to the whole thing, but maybe you talked to him off air. They're one of the few casts that credited their writers with the dialogue. They were like, we have great writers. That's everything, you know. And the writers, when they love that, so they're going to make better scripts. Oh, this is another thing that you might not know. Do you know who they wanted to play Diane's mother? Was it Lucille Ball? Oh, okay, you know that one. I would have quite liked to see that as a, as a guest spot. I think she refused because she would have thought that the character was too similar to her Lucy persona or because she was so well-known for playing Lucy in I Love Lucy, if she appeared as this character, people would have been confused and thought that it was a crossover. Right. It would have been like, wait a second, why is Lucy her mother? And then that would have... It wouldn't have worked, I don't think. I mean, she's a good actress, and she would have given it a great thing. We went, wait, Lucy's her mother? I suppose when you when you were watching it as it was coming out, what was one of the guest spots which really got you excited that someone was going to be in Cheers? Okay, this is a weird thing. The guest stars on Cheers, a lot of them were Boston people. And I'm from New York. They had the governor of they have, uh, Michael Dukakis, who ran for president and lost. They had Senator, the, he was the Obama secretary, John Kerry, who ran for president and lost. They had Gary Hart, who, had, who also ran for president and lost. Admiral William J. Crow, chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Like, these are the people that they had as guest stars. They had the uh, Speaker of the House of Representatives in the first season. Tip O'Neill. Tip O'Neill. Right. And uh, the, the guest stars, like, they didn't have... Uh, Kevin McHale was, was a big one. Kevin McHale was a big guest uh, 
everybody uh, knows that episode. Everybody, anyone's a Cheers fan, anyone's a Celtic fan knows that. And they play clips from that episode in Boston Garden until it closed down. When the Rangers were winning the Stanley Cup, which they hadn't done in 54 years, George Went was in the audience. The camera went on George Went, and they actually had to stop playing the game because the fans were cheering Norm, and nobody could hear. And he started getting like, um, you know, let them play. He started getting like embarrassed. But I, I just don't want to reboot. I just do not want to reboot. I know they're talking about continuing Frasier in some regard, and... I have mixed feelings about this. I think if they were to consider doing it, it would have to be done in a such a specific way that we feel it wasn't something we'd seen before in Cheers or Frasier, such as if Frasier took on the uh, Martin Crane uh, kind of persona to, I guess, Frederick, who's now probably 30-something. I'm sorry, Frederick's 30, and maybe he's moving back home with his five-year-old kid because he can't find a job during the recession. That could be it. And Frazier's got a podcast where he uh, where he talks about things that are going on. Podcasts are the new radio, aren't they? In a lot of All ways. Right, well, Ken Levine, we have an idea. <laughs> I've got no more questions, but we do normally end with a sort of toast to uh, to the discussion. Would you like to lead that th- today, Ian? Do you know Caddyshack? Yes. Okay. Well, then I, I could say it's easy to grin when your ship has gone in, come in and you have the stock market beat. But the man who's worth while is a man who can smile when his shorts are too tight in the seat. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> cheers. I couldn't have said it better myself, Ian. It's been a pleasure talking to you about sitcoms, cheers, and, and all of this stuff. Mm-hmm.